in Paul's letter uh, to the church at Ephesus. Page 1174, if you're using the church Bible. Page 1174 in the church Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, and we are reading (coughs) from verse 11. Paul writing to these men and women who have been saved by Christ, many of them from a Gentile background, that's a background without any uh, early or previous knowledge of God, he now says to them in chapter 2 verse 11, Therefore remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship or belonging to Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one, and has destroyed the dividing barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. Amen. And so today our theme as we look at this section is Christ, you and his church. Christ, you, and his church. The Christians at Ephesus were mostly Gentiles. That means that before their conversion, before Paul came and preached in their city, they had no association or connection with the church. They didn't go to the church, they didn't belong to the church, 
they rather went to uh, mostly the temple of Diana, a place of false worship. But now that they've become Christians, now that they're saved by Christ, Paul is saying to them in this section, they belong to his church. And they are to integrate into the church of Christ. And they are to participate in the life of the church of Christ. And also they are to contribute to the life of the church of Christ. And this is a very relevant passage and a very timely passage in our day. For there are those today who profess Christ. And they will say, I am a Christian, I am saved, I am going to heaven. But they have little, if anything, to do with his church on earth. Some have been saved by Christ through a leaflet or in a setting outside of the church. And so they have never seen any need to be part of the church. It has never, they would say, contributed anything to their salvation. And then there are others who at one time were part of the church but no longer are, no longer attend, because they have been hurt by some experience within the church, and they have given up on the church. And then there is at least another group, and they are those who find fault with every local church, and so they either have no church, or as it's happening increasingly, they make the internet their church. Paul is emphasizing here for our benefit that if we belong to Christ, we belong and we are to belong to his church. There are four things that we want to note this morning from this passage. First of all, Without Christ, we are outside the church. In other words, without faith in Christ, without salvation in Christ, we are, you are, outside the church. We're looking in particular at verses 11 and 12 at this point. In the Bible, Christ and the church belong together. For example, in this passage, Paul describes the church, verse 16, as the body of Christ. Then in verse 19, he describes the church as the household of God. And then verse 21, he describes the church as a holy temple in the Lord. Paul cannot mention the church, he cannot think of the church without linking the church to Christ, to God, to the Lord. And today what is happening is people are separating Christ and his church. 
they treat Christ and the church as two separate, distinct, unrelated entities. And in their mind, they think in this way. Here you have Christ, and over the here you have the church. And the two are not connected. When people want Christ without the church, when they say, I'm a Christian, but I won't belong to a church, then they are separating Christ and his church. They're separating and putting asunder what God has joined together. Equally, when people want the church without Christ, they are separating Christ and his church. And there are many people this morning in Northern Ireland who want the church without Christ. Today they will participate in church life. And they are members of local churches. And they will receive the Lord's Supper. They will have their children baptized. They perhaps will hold positions of church leadership. But they reject Christ. And they see no need to be saved by him. They want the church without Christ. And they separate Christ and the church. Now what does Paul say to both those strands of thinking? The professing Christian who doesn't want the church. And the non-Christian who wants the church but doesn't want Christ. Well look at what Paul writes in verse 12. He's addressing the Gentile Christians. Those who had no church background prior to this. And he says, remember that at that time you were NIV separate from Christ. Better translation is you were without Christ. You didn't have Christ. You didn't belong to Christ. And so, look at the consequence. Alienated from citizenship, that means belonging to Israel. And Israel here is the church. So without Christ, not belonging to the church. Then he adds, and foreigners, strangers. To the covenants of promise. In other words. In and to the church. God makes rich and precious promises. In Christ. That he ratifies and guarantees by covenant. In other words. I won't go back on this. And Paul says. That if you are without Christ. You're not only outside the church, but you're without those beautiful and precious promises of God. Without hope and without God in the world. Without Christ, these Gentiles were outside the church. 
And if you are without Christ this morning, you may be in the church service, but you're not actually in the church. Because without Christ, a person is outside the church. And without hope, and without God. That's how serious it is not to be a Christian. The non-Christian has no hope. Apart from what they can touch with their hands and acquire in their lives. They have no hope when sickness comes, when unemployment comes, when old age comes. They have no hope because they're without God in the world. And so Paul is saying to us here, without Christ we are outside the church. And without hope and without God in the world. How important, how urgent it is for you if you are not a Christian this morning and you're in the church service to come into the church. And you can only do that through Christ. And that brings us to our second point. By Christ we are brought into the church. We're looking now at verse 13 and verse 19. By Christ we are brought into the church. So how did these Gentiles who previously worshipped in the temple of Diana, how did they become part of the church? How do you, if you're not a Christian this morning, become part of the church? Look at verse 13. But now, same kind of language as we had in verse 4 last week, but God, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away, And by that he means you who were once dead in trespasses and sins. You who once were cut off from the church. You who once worshipped in the temple of Diana the goddess. You who did not know the promises of God. Have been brought near. You've been brought in. You've been made part of. The blessing of God. How? Look at the last words. By the blood of Christ. And so if without faith in Christ we are outside the church. Then by the blood of Christ we are brought into the church. And the blood of Christ takes us to the cross. Where Christ died. Not because of any wrong that he himself had done. But because of the sins and wrongs that others, people like you and me, had done. He died, he shed his blood to redeem sinners 
as we saw in our first study in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 1 and following. And so it is by his blood, by his death, that your sins are cancelled, that your sins are forgiven, that your sins are lifted away from you as you repent of them and trust in Christ. And so it is by the blood of Christ, by the death of Christ, for your sins and faith in that death and repentance of those sins that you are brought into the church. For a number of weeks now we have been announcing and exploring membership groups that is going to meet next Lord's Day. And meet once a month, God willing, after that. It's for those thinking about, those considering joining this congregation. Do I, do the elders bring you, bring them into the church? No, there is only one person who can bring you into the church and make you a member of the church. And that person is Jesus Christ crucified for sins and risen for our justification and salvation. And what the elders do and what I will be doing in the church membership class is simply exploring with you what it means to belong to Christ. And we will then, as elders, recognise what Christ has done in you, in saving you. And that that is real and true and genuine and growing and lasting. By Christ, you are brought into the church. But notice the words at the very beginning of our verse. Verse 13, at the end of the verse we have, by Christ. At the beginning of the verse we have, but now in Christ. And you see, Paul is saying that when we are saved, we are in Christ. We are united to Christ like a woman to a man in marriage. There's a union that takes place. And Christ, as he unites you to himself, introduces you to his family. Isn't that what happens in a marriage? You're introduced to the family of your spouse. And so when Christ saves us and brings us into union with himself, he introduces us to his family. His brothers and sisters, the church. So that verse 19. You see here's the glorious change. You are no longer foreigners. Literally it is you're no longer strangers. And sojourners. Those that are residents, temporary residents. But fellow citizens with God's people. Members of God's household. The new Christian is not to be kept on the outside of the earthly church, the local church. 
but brought in to the family into which Christ has put them. Brought in as a brother. Brought in as a sister. Brought in as an equal. Let me try and illustrate this for you. In recent years, people from Eastern Europe have come to live and work in Ireland. And they are strangers to our country. They don't know the language, what's about you, or how you doing, or it's not a bad day. They don't know the customs. They don't know the culture. And they live mostly with their own people. But what if one of those Eastern Europeans marries an Irish man or an Irish woman? Well, they're introduced to the family. There's a union that takes place that introduces them to a local family that brings them into the heart of the community and the culture. And likewise by Christ, you who have been saved, whatever your background, you are brought into his family. And you should belong to the family of his earthly church here or somewhere else as members as equals and as heirs without Christ we're outside the church by Christ we are brought into the church let's notice thirdly and this is the most difficult or as the, from now on the passage gets slightly more difficult to grasp. So I'm going to ask you please to try and give your best attention. But the next thing is through Christ we are united in his church. Through Christ we are united together in the church. Now there's a background here that Paul is familiar with that we are not familiar with today. And so let me try and explain it to you very simply or as simply as I can and as quickly as I can. In Paul's day, Jews despised Gentiles. That's the Old Testament people of God. Those who were the insiders despised the Gentiles, the outsiders. They call them unclean dogs. They didn't allow Jews to help a Gentile woman if she needed help in giving birth. They held a funeral for any Jew who married a Gentile. And this division and hostility expressed itself every day of life. But most forcibly and most noticeably in matters of religion. For example, Jews allowed Gentiles to visit their most holy place of worship, the temple. That building that I showed you earlier on. Yet the Gentiles could not enter the most crucial area of worship. The place where Jews offered sacrifice 
for their sins. And so the Gentiles were kept out. And if you were a Gentile, therefore, you had no hope of salvation. No hope. The Gentiles could only view this area that secured salvation from a distance and over a wall that was several feet high. Try and imagine it this way. It's like taking your child down to the sweet shop and you allow them to look in through the window at all the chocolate bars and all the yummy sweets but you don't allow them to go into the shop to purchase. That's what it was like for the Gentiles. And any Gentile who went beyond that wall, any Gentile who tried to enter the shop to get salvation, was put to death instantly. You see, that's why Paul in verse 14 writes about the dividing wall of hostility. He's referring to that wall in the temple that kept the the Gentiles out and that caused such hostility. And then in verse 15, Paul mentions the law with its commandments and regulations. He's speaking of part of the Old Testament here. And there were laws uh, concerning food and days. Laws that were given to promote devotion to God among the Jews. But what did the Jews do? They used them as weapons against the Gentiles. And so caused hostility. It's a bit like flags and emblems in Ireland. What is a flag about? It's meant to unite a people. But what do people do with flags in Ireland? What do people do with flags in Northern Ireland? What have people been doing with flags for the past six weeks in our province? They use it as an instrument of hostility. An instrument not to unite, but to drive away and to separate. Well, that's what the Jews did in the temple and in the regulations and commandments of the Old Testament. And today... Division and hostility of the kind that was there between the Jew and Gentile. It still exists in our world. It's the Jew and the Arab division and hostility. It's the black and white division and hostility. It still exists in our land. And we too have our, have our terms that we use. The prod and the tag. It's there between the Republican and the Loyalist. And today there's division and hostility, perhaps in your family, between you and your spouse, between you and your children, between brothers and sisters. And today there is division and hostility 
within many churches between those who were long-standing members and could trace their family tree back in that church for generation and the person who has come into the church last week, last month, last year. And there is division and hostility in the church today between the well-off or the better-off and the less well-off. And there can be a division in the church today between those who are educated and those who are not. One feeling that they're better than another. Another feeling that they're inferior. And how are the divisions of Paul's day between Jew and Gentile? And how are the divisions of our day between Protestant and Catholic, Republican and Loyalist, between um, marriage partners, between family members and within the church? How are these divisions to be ended? How are they to be broken down? Look at verse 14. He himself, and there's an emphasis there, Christ himself is our peace. Our peace. Not just my peace, but if he's also your peace, then he's got to be our peace together. And he has made the two one. And look at what Christ has done with the wall in the Jewish temple. He has destroyed it. Look at what Christ has done with the, um, the regulations and the commandments of the Old Testament that Jews used against Gentiles in the wrong way. Verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the hostility. And verse 16, the last part of it, through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Hostility and division melts away when this man and this woman come to Christ. When this part of the community and that part of the community come to Christ. By his death, Christ has ended all division based on race and religion. By his death, Christ has done away with the Jewish temple, its dividing wall. He's fulfilled the ceremonial laws of the Old Testament by his life of complete dedication to God. Do you see what Paul is saying? Through Christ People are united in his church. And this is how it applies to you and me in church this morning. New Christian. New Christian. Brought into this church by Christ from the world. Brought into this church from unbelief and perhaps all kinds of things in your background brought in and you had in your background all kinds of hostility and divisions in your heart 
And you're now in the church. And you're not to think any longer of that hostility, of that division. You're not to think in terms of, well, here's what divides me from these church members that have been here before me. You're not to say, well, they know more than I do. You're not to think in terms of, they're better educated than I am. You're not to think in terms of, well, they're better off. They have more money and a bigger house than I have. Some may. Others will not. You're not to think they are more worthy of Christ than I am. You're not to think they are more acceptable to God than I am. See, all those old ways of thinking, they're done away with. They're leveled. They're demolished in the Christ who has saved you and who saved us and who brought you and us together. But then can I also speak to you as I speak to myself as someone who has been in this church myself only for three decades but for some of you your family goes back for generations and you're a believer this morning and you would say I'm a long standing my family is long standing members of this church. And you also could think in terms of what divides. And you could have an attitude of hostility towards those who are coming in. And you could think, I am better off. And you could think, I am superior. Because of my family heritage. Or whatever. long-standing Christian a long-standing covenanter do not think in terms of what divides you from the new members or what are of things that would make you superior to the new members no Christ is their peace as he is your peace and so he is our peace And there's no division. And there's no hostility between me and another. Look at verse 17 where Paul puts it like this. He came. Here's what happened. Whether you're a new member, a new Christian, a long-standing member and a Christian for years. Here's what happened in each of our experience. Christ came and preached peace to you. Who were far away. And peace to you who were near. Peace to you who were outside of the church. Peace to you who grew up in the church. And here's what he does. Now through Christ. We both have access to the Father by one spirit. I don't have more access than you. The long standing member doesn't have more access we have the same access in and by 
the one spirit. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it beautiful? That through Christ, division and hostility melts away and we are united in his church. Nobody feeling inferior. Nobody suggesting they're superior. But everyone treating the other as equals in our Saviour. Without Christ, we're outside the church. By Christ, we are brought into the church. Through Christ, we are united in his church. And then finally, and hopefully this will be easier to grasp following on from the children's dress. In Christ, we're being built up together as his church. We're being built up together as his church. And now we're looking at verses 20 to 22. The ancient world was as famous for its temples as the modern world is for its cathedrals. As we say, we're saying with the boys and girls, the Jews had their magnificent temple in Jerusalem and the Gentiles also had their temples. Every Roman Greek city had a temple to one god or another and there were a plethora of false gods in that day. And in Acts chapter 19, verse 27, Paul refers, or um, Luke refers, to the temple of the Roman goddess Diana. And as we're saying with the boys and girls, where did it stand? In Ephesus, the very city where this Christian church is made up of saved Jews and saved Gentiles. And what's happening now in verses 20 to 22 is this. Paul is using that imagery of ancient temples with which his Jewish and Gentile readers were so familiar. In the same way as Jesus used the imagery of shepherding and sheep because it was very familiar. And Jesus taught his people through something, the shepherd, or something through the shepherd and the sheep. And Paul is going to teach these people Something through their experience of and their understanding of ancient temples. And he's going to teach them an important truth about the role of the church in their lives as believers. Look at verse 20. Being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. You see, the church, like the Jewish temple in Jerusalem, or like the temple of Diana in Ephesus, the church has a foundation. And our foundation is not a ledge of rock. It's not a block of concrete. The foundation of the church is the preaching and teaching of the apostles. What we call the New Testament. 
And our foundation is also the teaching of the prophets, what we call the Old Testament. And so the church is built on the teaching of both testaments, the whole scriptures. And both have a cornerstone. Both have a common meeting point, the Old Testament and the New Testament, the prophets and the apostles. They have a common point of focus. And what is that cornerstone of focus? It's Christ himself. Christ himself. And so as individual believers and as a church, our lives are being built upon the scriptures. And wherever we turn in the scriptures, Old Testament or New Testament, they present Christ to us in his glorious person and his saving work. And here's what happens. As we discover Christ in all the scriptures, he builds us up in our faith. And in our conduct as the church. Verse 21. In him all the building fitted together. We're like bricks or stones. Fitted together. And we increase into a temple. A place where God dwells. A place where God is worshipped. Now here's what is special about this new temple. It's not there in the Jewish temple. That's not there in the temple of Diana. It's this. You see, the temple of the Jews was marked by what? Hypocrisy and unbelief. That's why it was destroyed. And the temple of Diana was marked by idolatry and superstition. That's why it was destroyed. But you see, this temple that God is building now and that God is dwelling in now that is made up of you and me, what is it to be? Verse 21, a holy temple in the Lord. A holy temple. That means we as a church and I and you as individuals, we are to grow in holiness. We're to grow in likeness to Jesus, the cornerstone. We're to grow like him in our words and our attitudes and our affections and our actions. To be what? Verse 22. To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. What a calling. What a calling. For you for me, for us together, to be a dwelling in which God, the eternal God, the holy God, dwells by a spirit. And what a challenge that is to us, that we be holy vessels, a holy place, A holy people. 
that you are part of this church. And being part of this church, God's purpose is that in Christ you are to be built up to be a holy temple where he loves to dwell and to be found. Are we being built up? Are we becoming a holy temple? Christ, you and his church. Amen. Let's pray together. Almighty God, our hearts thrill within us when we think of your great grace and your great mercy that we did not deserve but that you have shown freely and fully to us in Christ. We thank you that by Christ we've been brought into the church. And we thank you that in Christ we are united as people. That all divisions and hostilities found out there in society, in the family, in the world, are broken down and done away with. We bless you for that. May that be more and more true of us. Lord God, we thank you for the great purpose that you have, which is to dwell not in a building of bricks and wood, but to dwell in a people that are holy, that are in Christ and are being built up to be more and more like Christ. Lord, make us individually and make us together by your grace a people where you delight to dwell by your Holy Spirit and a place, a people and a place to which non-Christians will come and they will discover the Christ in us and the Christ among us and the Christ through us. We pray for any this morning who are without Christ that they might realize that so they do not belong to the church, but they today can become part of the church by coming to Christ and by his blood having their sins forgiven as they repent of those sins and trust in him. To Jesus' name and Jesus' name and to his glory. Amen.